Good morning, Crosswalk. Anybody uncomfortable yet? Uh, if you're visiting Crosswalk for the first time, it is spring break, uh, and, and it is like one of the first beautiful, gorgeous days in the Northwest, so of course, we take it outside on those days, many of us. Uh, but if you're home for spring break, welcome home. If you're visiting for the first time, I'm sorry. If you're not visiting for the first time, let me ask you a question for some introspection on what you thought was going to happen today. It is the day after St. Patty's Day, uh, and you chose to come to a church where the lead pastor's name is Patty McCoy. So if you're surprised by this, then I say that's on you. It has nothing to do with me. Um, I'm simply a pastor standing in front of his congregation asking you to love me. <laughs> and that's a perfect tie-in for our theme today, which is uncomfortable love, all right? Now, this kilt isn't just a nod to my Irish heritage. This kilt is something that I wore on my wedding day 24 years ago this Tuesday. Thank you, thank you. There we are, a couple of beautiful kids. Man, I look exactly the same. Um, but, I don't know why that's funny, <laughs> just making a comment. Um, if you have been or are married, do you remember your wedding day well? I remember it so well because I woke up that morning just so excited, I couldn't wait to get married to Trisha, spend my life with her, stand in front of people and profess my love for her, see her for the first time. I was super excited about that. All the work that goes into those moments and then being able to be there and have it happen, couldn't wait. And uh, if I'm honest, I also was really excited to wear the kilt and walk down the aisle followed by a bagpiper named Ogden Kimberly. It was perfect, perfect day. The night before I actually wore my um, kilt with the Bible boy who was also in a kilt, um, and I wanted him to know it was cool, you know, to wear the kilt, and, and he liked it maybe, maybe too much. Um, there was a couple, I, I should take just a side note to say, there was a couple from the church I was talking to uh, not long ago, and they said to me, they said, Pastor Patty, what we really like about you is that you just don't have to be cool. Um, and, and I said, thank you. <laughs> ah, good times. Um, but weddings are one of those places where love is palpable. There are other places where love is palpable, places like the birth of your children, places like a baptism when somebody's standing in the waters giving their life to Jesus. I also feel that love when I see an elderly couple walking down the street holding hands and sharing googly eyes with each other. There's just something beautiful about that to me. It's, they, they've been through it all, and yet they still have love. If you were an outsider to these experiences, just watching them, then you might, come, you might start to think that love is all just rose petals and butterfly kisses, right? You might think that love is a constant state of euphoria, and you might start to think that love, when done right, should be effortless, and it should feel amazing 100% of the time. But if you've been in love, then you know the uncomfortable truth. You know that love can be one of the most amazing, life-changing experiences that you can ever have and ever choose to go on, but it can also be one of the most difficult and frustrating at times and painful. If we really give ourselves over to love, it isn't long before, uh, the, that, it isn't long before we realize 
that love isn't always about rose petals and butterfly kisses, right? Many of us in this room know what it is like to lose a love or have a marriage end or uh, to struggle through the painful experience of betrayal. Love can be wonderful and love can be uncomfortable. Over the years, I've done lots of premarital sessions. And as you help a couple prepare for marriage, one of the things that you have to do is try to help the couple realize, recognize that love is not fate and destiny bringing you together. Love is a choice. It's always a choice. And the vows that you share with each other on your wedding day or on your baptismal day, it's a similar kind of thing. These are promises you make to love the other person come what may. And there are days when, well, I say this to couples, I say that love, uh, your vows that you take on your wedding day are not just a one and done kind of thing. You don't just say those on your wedding day and that's it. Once you commit to those, you are committing to those every day of your life. And there are days when that is really easy and everything is going great and you're having so much fun. And then there are days when it's really difficult and a challenge and hard to push through. But you've promised those vows come what may. So when we commit to these vows, they are a lifetime kind of thing. And obviously, things happen. Obviously, there are nuances. Obviously, it doesn't always work out. Whatever happens, it doesn't change the fact that love is a choice. The amazing thing about God's love is that as Jesus told us, he chooses us. We didn't choose him, but he chooses us despite all we've done. But why is love so hard for us? If we are believers in God and the Bible, then we come to believe that love is both something that we were created by and for. And so if love is in our DNA, what we were created for, why is it so hard to receive love and extend love to others? Today, we just have time to look at three lessons we can learn about the uncomfortable reality of love. First, we'll take a look at the Garden of Eden where our love story began. God created us out of love in his image and all was very good. We spent time with God in the garden in the cool of the day, walking and learning and receiving and growing. All was good and we were fully exposed and we felt no shame because we were perfectly loved. But then something happened. Adam and Eve were tricked into believing that God really wasn't all that good. Not completely. God was holding something back. And because of the lies of the adversary, they lost trust in God, their creator and their source of love. What resulted wasn't just sin entering into the world. It was what sin represents. Sin represents separation. And that separation didn't just affect our relationship to God. It broke the heart of God. Listen to how the story unfolded. After Adam and Eve had made their choice to distrust God, God goes after them. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? The man replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? Two questions in this passage that hit me in the gut every single time. The first, where are you? This wasn't a question about where they were physically. He knew where they were. It was a question about their condition. Something had changed. Something was severed, and now there was 
distance between them and God. And this distance is something that pained him beyond what we can possibly imagine. And then the second question that hits me, what have you done? Only God knew the full consequences of what had just happened. A world of hurt and pain that God never wanted was created in that moment. He saw countless lives lost, tears shed, hearts broken. Sin brought separation, but it also brought pain and destruction targeted at anything that holds the imprint of God. There is, no, there is so much sorrow in God's voice when he says, what have you done? The late Adventist theologian Herbert Douglas said that sin is a created being's clenched fist in the face of the creator. Sin is the creature distrusting God, deposing him as Lord of his life. Swiss theologian Emil Bruner once said, sin is like the son who strikes the father's face in anger. It is the bold self-assertion of the son's will above that of the father. Sin brings pain. But God knew the risk when he created us. He knew that in order for us to love him freely, to choose to love him, he also had to give us the ability to choose to not love him. So the first thing that we learn about real love is that love is incredibly risky. If you and I don't want to get hurt or have our hearts broken, it's best that we just, just don't love at all. That would be safer, wouldn't it? It'd be safer, but it's not what we were created for. To love is to risk. You risk heartache, you risk betrayal, you risk having to give up something of yourself in order to care for another. Love is risk. Some argue that God would have been better off to not create us. And yet, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God would rather suffer a thousand deaths on the cross than not have any of us in the world. When my son was born, I remember the love that I felt for him was unlike anything I had experienced before. And, and I enjoyed that love, and I drank that love in, and then, right before my daughter was to be born two years later, there was this sense inside of like, oh no, like how in the world could I possibly love another human being as much as I love my son? And then an amazing thing happened in the delivery room on May 3, 2004. My daughter came into the world and my heart grew. Suddenly I realized I wouldn't have to take love away from my son in order to love my daughter. I could love them both equally and actually could grow in the ability to love more and more and more. Because love, to love is to create, to grow, and to share. But it's risky. Your children can make choices that will gut you to the core. And yet, once they are in the world, you can't imagine the world without them, no matter what choices they make. So love is uncomfortable because it is risky, but it is also uncomfortable because love changes us. And change is always hard. Love is like a light that shines up all the places in our lives that we often want to keep hidden, and it forces us to confront those hidden places if we want to become a better person. Sometimes this is referred to as discipline. The book of Hebrews says, the Lord disciplines those that he loves like a father disciplines a child. God's discipline is always good for us, even though while it's happening, it's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right, right living for those who are trained in this way. Love desires for us to be the best versions of ourselves. Not so we're easier to love, but because love wants the best for us. It's how it works. 
And it's important to have people in your life who love you enough to speak the truth in love and help you become a better version of yourself. Several years ago, I was frustrated with a boss that I had. I felt like leadership was making decisions that was getting in the way of our ability to care for and love on and disciple those that we were called to serve. I had a safe person in my life who I had also given permission to speak truth in love to me. Um, but that safe person allowed me to vent my frustration and just received it for a time. But then there came a point in time, one day, when I was expressing my frustration and anger again, when my friend realized something. He realized that I was going down a path where I was becoming someone that was going to hurt me and hurt the people around me, especially those that I was leading. He knew that if my behavior went unchecked, that I wasn't going to like the person that I became. And so one day he said to me, he said, Patty, I love you, but you've got to stop with all the negativity. You're better than this. That was hard to hear, but it was what I needed to hear. Truth in love is uncomfortable at times. Love pushes us to be the best versions of ourselves for the sake of others, and at times that can be painfully uncomfortable. So love is uncomfortable because love is incredibly risky. It's uncomfortable because love changes us, and it's uncomfortable because to love like Jesus is the absolute hardest thing we are called to do in this life. Jesus said in John 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. To lay down one's life for one's friends means to put them first, to do what you can to lift them up, to honor them, to help them become the best versions of themselves, even if it means lo losing something of yourself along the way. John wrote later, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And as amazing as that is to be able to do, to lay your life down for a friend, for a brother and sister, we know Jesus did more than that. Jesus went farther than that. I mean, this is the Jesus that told us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Paul talked about the love of God in Romans 5. He says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Paul's saying that to give your life for another person is not commonplace, right? I mean, maybe if the person was especially good, a Mother Teresa, maybe... But God showed, or a better translation is that God actually proved his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies with God, still choosing sin, still striking the Father in the face with our choices and our anger, he died for us. He chose to love us in our worst moments, and he chose to love us through the most uncomfortable place in all of history, the cross of Calvary. That is amazing. It is gospel. It is the very definition of what love is. Then Jesus said something else that is hard to swallow, a verse that we quote often here at Crosswalk. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is our call to love well. But if you think about it, I'm supposed to love other people like Jesus loves me? To love them even when they hate me? 
In the famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus went on to say, after telling us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you, he said, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, we mentioned this quote a couple of weeks ago in talking about holiness, but it's not about sinlessness. It's in the context of love. You are to love as much as you can possibly love. In fact, in the Greek, the word for perfect is the word telos, and it actually means to function in the way that you were meant to function, okay? So, in other words, if you have a rusty hammer that still can hammer a nail in, then that hammer is perfect. It's doing what it was created to do. You and I were created to love. We can love perfect, but let us look at the first part of this. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Human beings are very good at being generous with people that are generous with us. We are good at loving those who honor and respect and admire us, those that we think will return our love. But loving those that annoy us, Loving those that are different than us, that don't dress like us or believe like us or behave like us, or loving those that seek to destroy us, that seems to be what Jesus is calling us to do because that seems to be what Jesus did. Now, maybe we need to put that on another level that we can identify with because this happens in church all the time. People come to church, they get greeted at the door, and all seems well and good, but then there's this thing that's like, Okay, you can come here, but you really need to start looking like us and dressing like us and behaving like us and believing like us before you can truly be one of us. And that happens all the time. So we'll love you once you become more like us. Missionaries did this for years. They went to other countries and cultures to bring the gospel, but what they really brought was their culture and their worldview, holding their full acceptance until everyone was more like them. That's why it's important for us here at Crosswalk that one of our first values about what it means to love well is belonging. You can belong here on day one. And it doesn't matter what you look like or dress like or believe. What matters is that you belong because that's what love is. You belong here from the moment you walk in the door. You don't have to become one of us first. That's what love looks like, and when we truly love someone, chances are we're both going to do some changing in the relationship. We're both going to learn from each other. We're both going to grow as we seek the best for each other. The Apostle John wrote, this old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. It's new because Jesus showed us how to do it. Jesus lived the truth, he lived in love, and he changed the world. Dare we take on the same call to do the same? Friends, rest assured, the call to love is the hardest thing we could ever do. If we are serious about it, we can't just wear the sweatshirt or the t-shirt or put the stickers on our water bottles or on our cars. We can't just go to church once a week or once a month and check the box of righteous living. Loving well isn't a fad. It's a way of life that is going to push us to the very edge of what we think we can do. In fact, it's going to push us to do what we think is impossible, to love unconditionally and without measure to all. John went on to write, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. 
We are called to not just talk about love, but actually love one another even when it's uncomfortable. So how in the world do you and I love like Jesus? How do you and I love when we are spit in the face? How do you and I love when we are nailed to the cross? How do you and I return hate with love, anger with kindness, pride with humility? We must become unbalanced. Forget trying to live a balanced life. Do you think the Apostle Paul was balanced? Could you look at his life and say, well, there's somebody who is balanced. He once wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. We must put all of our eggs into the basket of Jesus Christ. Become obsessed with him. Spend ridiculous amounts of time thinking about his love, receiving his love in our prayer closets and in community. Because the more we behold Jesus, the more we become like Jesus and have the power to love like he does. There's a story uh, of a man by the name of, of Bob who uh, found a rescue mission in the downtown area of a large city. When Bob first came to the mission, he was in pain, he was addicted, he was angry and hurt and lonely. And Bob was difficult for the people and the staff at the mission. I mean, he would lash out in anger with them even though they were just trying to help. But the mission kept going after Bob with ferocious love. And, and they would show him Jesus on a daily basis. And pretty soon he started to learn about Jesus and do studies with them. And then he came to live at the mission and he started to work at the mission and he started to listen daily to these studies about the love of God. And slowly over time, Bob began to soften. He began to change, he began to heal, and he began to spend ridiculous amounts of time in the love of God. Bob started to share the love he was finding in Christ through the mission with the other guests that would come in there. He wanted them to experience what he did, so he loved them ferociously and with great passion. Then one day at an evening chapel service that they would host for their guests, the pastor that was leading out was up front, and he did an altar call for people to come forward to give their life to Jesus. And there was a man from the back that started shouting something and coming forward, and the pastor couldn't make it out initially, but as he got closer, he could hear the man say, please make me like Bob. Make me like Bob. Please, oh, please make me like Bob. And the pastor, when he got up to the front, the pastor got to him and he says, don't you mean, don't you mean make me like Jesus? And the man said, why, is he like Bob? I want to be like Bob. I want to be like Bob because Bob spent so much time with Jesus that after a while you had a hard time figuring out where Bob ended and Jesus began. That's the life that we were meant to live. To help us be more like Jesus, I want to share a prayer with you that I will close with as the band comes back up. It's a prayer that appropriately comes from the shield of St. Patrick. And tradition says that he wrote this back in 433 AD, right before he went to talk to the king of Ireland about turning from paganism to Christianity. It is a prayer that I think if we could make it a part of ourselves, that maybe we could truly answer the call to love well, to anyone, to everyone, doors wide open, that we don't just talk about love here in this place, but we go out there and love like crazy for Jesus. And so as we seek to become unbalanced in the way of Jesus, 
here's a prayer for us. You can take a picture of it if you want. Have it on your phone as something to remember. Christ be with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ within me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. And Christ at my right. Christ at my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear who hears me. Jesus Christ, help us be okay with the discomfort and to love more like you, to love really, really well in the precious and holy and powerful name, the loving name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. We pray these things. Amen. Please stand back with us as we worship.